This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart, and I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. This episode profiles Matt Kenny. Matt makes paintings that are influenced by thoughtful observation, optics and surveillance, and a reverence for traditional oil painting. Recent works depict the newly realized Freedom Tower as an anthropomorphized villain, or landscape views of Manhattan from a distant vantage point, the Freedom Tower always present and looming. Matt also makes paintings of hollow cylinders and a perspective that seems to jet aggressively towards the viewer, not unlike the barrel of a gun or a pair of binoculars pointed right at us. While the aesthetic treatment and content of his paintings can vary, they remain fluid in theme and spirit. We recorded the following conversation at his studio in the Ditmas Park section of Brooklyn. But that's pretty pretty much it. Um, and I thought about starting this one um, by not talking about art out of the gates. Sure. A friend and supporter of this show uh, um, suggested I ask you about Batman's utility belt. Oh shit! Who is this? It's a, it's a, it's someone that shall rename shall remain nameless. <laughs> but he said, "Ask him about Batman's utility belt," and it stopped there. So, what is it about Batman's utility belt that I should be uh, learning from you? Okay, <laughs> sure, sure, that sounds good. <laughs> okay. Is this a left field one? Yeah, it is, oh, but okay. in a good way. In a okay. good way. <laughs> it's not that hard for me to reach there, though. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, well, of the DC characters, I've always liked Batman mm-hmm. because he's human. Mm-hmm. The dilemma of the DC characters sure. right, is that they're gods. Right. Even Batman's kind of a little bit too godly for humankind. But he doesn't have superpowers. He doesn't have superpowers. Okay. And like, he also has like, you know, dilemmas kind of woven into his design. Mm-hmm. And. The utility belt is an expression of his capacity to respond and innovate. Um, that's like sort of where his he, you know, papers over the cracks of not being a god. Mm-hmm. I really loathed um, the recent Batman movies. You did not care for them. No. Okay. I, yeah, you know, because I well, they because they were so serious. Mm-hmm. And I think that director, what's his name? Nolan. Nolan and Snyder, mm-hmm. both just miserable. Just like their conceits are so crazy. Right. And to me, Batman has to be a comic book character. Right. I kind of like the Burton movies for attempting to do the early. Uh, Batman is sort of like the Bob Kane Batman or something uh-huh. like that. Um, but the utility belt. But also the utility belt is... All his tricks are in his utility belt. All of his tricks are there. Mm-hmm. But it's also the least interesting thing about him. Although it's a key to like his identity. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing that the, 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 the youths want to wear around their waist. You know, so, so they suddenly... 
can have those bag of tricks as well, as opposed to super strength. Right. Or, right. It's accessible. So it's yeah, imaginable. Right. 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 Um, and I, you'd almost imagine that his ability to improvise is matched by his ability. Like the other idea of Batman is that he's a planner. Like a couple years ago, there was a great story where he's got a strategy before he leaves the house, before yeah. he leaves the back. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, like there's this great Grant Morrison had a Batman run where he's essentially pursued by a version of the devil, like who's kind of sent after him by Dark Side. He doesn't okay. know this. Dark Side's like that cosmic villain. And do you read comic books often? Yeah, yeah, okay. I keep them. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's where I come from. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Although, you know, I don't buy. I buy trades. Okay. But I go to the store. Right. And I'm gonna, I want to talk about the books that you have here in your studio. You know, I, I, coincidentally, I see the, the, the box of comic books under your table here. But the, the times I've been here, I, I don't see comic books out. I guess that's why I ask if you read them now. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. have books about... The CIA and um, black ops and things going on in um, Afghanistan and you know it's a uh, a lot of a lot of uh, books that are political in nature and um, have have something to do with uh, global conflict or domestic conflict. So um, yeah, the comic book. Y- I, I do not see out in the open as much as these, which is why I well, ask. I mean, well, but you know, they, they're, <clears throat> if I could draw a bridge, you know, I, th- my imagination in a lot of ways does come from comics. Mm-hmm. And you saw that there's an Alan Moore swamp. Yeah. Thing. Alan Moore is important to you. Yeah. He's the huge. writer. Yeah. 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 And I think like essentially, you, one of my friends read Watchmen for the first time a couple years ago yeah. and he was like oh I know now okay I've got your number <laughs> I you got, he understood you yeah yeah okay. he was like I get it I get it it's you know? funny when we read or like we experience something that's suggested by a friend or a colleague or something and suddenly that person makes more sense to you through oh, that, yeah, through yeah, that experience sure and he was a friend who went to high school with me okay and so, like, so he's known you yeah he's known me for a long time and he's like oh Not man well enough, this is though. it yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you know I mean yeah I try not to be too ev- evangelical, yeah. you sure, know. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, but um, the and from hell, which came, well, I guess the trade came out while we were in school. But from hell really blew my mind. I mean, from hell, I think extended my Alan Moore obsession. That's a title from hell. I'm actually uninformed on Alan Moore's. Well, from, I mean, from if Watchmen is like a quiver of books, From Hell is Alan Moore's book about Jack the Ripper. Oh, okay. And um, it's got footnotes. It's inspired. He actually there's It's got a bibliography. Oh wow. Um, and in the book, he kind of takes multiple perspectives. He takes the perspective of the investigators, mm-hmm. the prostitutes, and um, his take on the killer which is the royal surgeon extraordinaire mm-hmm. who's like he's essentially sent out by queen victoria to assassinate these um prostitutes who are trying to blackmail prince edward right and <laughs> i mean and he is this devoted mason that has just suffered a stroke 
and had this insane kind of Masonic hallucination mm -hmm. that has imbued him with this visionary purpose of misogyny, like a, essentially performing a misogynistic rite right. over London. Right. Uh, while executing Queen Victoria's request for him to clean up this blackmail situation. And, you know, I think Alan Moore in his um, footnotes is like, you know, I'm, you know, I don't really buy this story, but I've adopted this narrative from these conspiracy books. I, I actually have a lot of the book, a lot of the, the books in his bibliography are here. Oh, okay. And he, he was really inspired by this poet, Ian Sinclair. I, they're like friends mm -hmm. who, you know, walks London. Um, and is like kind of the one of the primary proponents of like psychogeography. Mm -hmm. Who's this guy that kind of, you know, he wrote a book called London Orbital where he like walks the M5, um, which is the highway that runs around London. Okay. And he, you know, for a long time it seemed strictly wrote about England and and walking and and there's a tradition of that. And but Alan Moore kind of maybe because of his bibliography brought me to that, but. In the early 2000s, I had, I think, my first, like, version or fantasy of the poems that I'm working on now was this idea to do, like, a um, Robert Kennedy, um, J. Edgar Hoover split bio. Like, Robert Kennedy versus J. Edgar Hoover. This is, this is a project that you want to do? I wanted to do. Right, which, which, that would be illustrated like a graphic novel. I think that was that was sort of the idea, and 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 and, and with Martin Luther King essentially as like the, another central like figure. But that it sounds was, intense. And I could not write dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in trying to put words in Jay Hoover's mouth, you know, yeah. I mean, it's not going to happen. You know, but like, um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, Alan Moore is like a, a huge model cool. still. Cool. I mean, so these piles of books are research, you know, that... Right, right. I want to... I want to. But, they, you know, comics hovers over that Sure, pile. sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Understood. Uh, yeah. I want to quickly describe what what's in your studio space right now. So you've got a, a couple paintings that look like they're in progress. They're landscape paintings. You've got a few paintings that are uh, your version of a Brock painting. Mm-hmm. And you've got a couple of your tube paintings, one red, one blue. You have this uh, pretty impressive stack of of books that we were talking about earlier. They're you know political in nature. They have uh, they're about the CIA. They're about ISIS. They're about uh, the war in Afghanistan. They're about dark money, um, Computer station, brushes, a little writing table. I know you've been writing a lot lately, and we'll talk more about that. Um, this and it feels mostly unchanged from the last time I was here. Like this, this sort of feels like how the universe is in here, typically, right? It's mm -hmm. not. It's not crazier than this. It's not quieter than this. Is this is sort of straight on Matt Kenny right now, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I would define you mostly as a painter. Would you take that label? Yeah. You embrace yeah. that? Yeah. Um, and your in your paintings, for me as a viewer, they're very much about looking and observing. I know you as a sort of a deep observer. Um, 
um, subject matter wise, you, you, you are exploring the freedom tower. That's been a, a motif in your work. These two paintings, um, also have been reoccurring the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. And those for me, um, connect back to this idea of looking or observing. I read them as binoculars or something. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if that's, if that's, uh, any uh, part of your intention with them. But, um, I, I also think that, um, you know, with the Freedom Tower and this sort of surveillance uh, optical thing with the tubes and the binoculars and this and the stack of books, there's a political nature to your work. Sure. Is that definitely. fair to say? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, my question is, um, and, and I know it's it's kind of tough, but how would you describe what you're doing here to someone you're just meeting? I... I think it's fair to say that, you know, my work comes, I draw a lot of inspiration from reading and it certainly comes from the news and it's always observational. Mm -hmm. Even the tubes are not like a, observations in a, a literal sense. Right. But they're, right. I definitely think they're like kind of, they're in pursuit of an idea of something. Mm-hmm. That has to do with observation and like the, uh, you know, the, the shape paintings, um, the World Trade Center paintings, <clears throat> the through line really is this grounding in research into something and a struggle to find how to bring the research which existed, which I was, I, I was more doing in a fashion before it entered the work so directly you know what I mean and felt like sort of unable to um, make work about some of the things I was or a lot of the things I was passionate about and like just sort of dealing with the dilemma of content and artwork right and I and I think it was only fairly recently that I felt that I well I discovered for myself an avenue into making content driven work, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I, I worked not that far from the world trade center and I watched it go up. I mm -hmm. loved watching it go up. Mm -hmm. I actually, I hated the design. The freedom tower. The freedom mean. tower. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I had started a body of work, you know, the shape paintings, the tube, the origin of the tube paintings, mm -hmm. the, you very, refer to those as the shape paintings? That's what you call them? Well, I, I call those ones the tubes, but there's okay. X's and planks. That right, are, your X's are over there too, right? Right, right. Quite a old. plank right there. Yeah. How, ba how far back do those go? Over 10 years. Okay. And they're still on the wall. Right. <laughs> um, but, but the first... Still on the wall, still in the brain. Yeah, 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 yeah. Still thinking about them. I mean, yeah. with the, the very first version, they were um, paintings of bullets that were actually, they were from the Tippet Shoot. Yeah, you've shown me some of those. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I actually, and that bled out into other bodies of work, and into two particular bodies of work, one being these, um, the X's and the planks and the tubes. Right. Um, I actually think I painted the tubes before I even did the X's with planks. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so it led to just a, like an, an interest in producing, or what did, it, what did it mean for me to make an abstract painting? Mm -hmm. 
the, after making the bowls. Sure. The shape. The the other thing I wanted to mention or, or say is the shape paintings, the X's, the planks, the tubes, um, connect to this this idea of seeing um, because they're 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 you know they're illusionary, right? They they you're you're a technician when it comes to working with the paint and they do look as if they are sort of rebounding off the wall they have a a dimension i mean they're they're flat right they're two-dimensional but the way you're painting them uh, with a forced perspective and like well handled light sources and and shadow play um um they come out at you so they fool you a little bit going back to optics right and like and, you know and i think with the bullets one of the the charge of i the charge of them was the the illusionism, mm -hmm. like the volume of the bullet was mm -hmm. exciting, and so one. And it was a spent bullet too, that right that you were. Yeah, it was of? forensic evidence. Right, right, right. So it was like a crushed bullet that had been pulled out of something. Yeah, yeah, and and so uh, yeah, one was this or kind blunted, of blunted, blunted bullet. Yeah, 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 smashed. They, and one of them even had um, initials when detectives. Oh right. Take a bullet, they initial them so that the source. Um, and then that kind of brought me back. I had first do, started doing the bag prints in college mm -hmm. and making the bullet paintings resurrected them. Mm -hmm. The dilemma that didn't make it out of the bullet paintings alive was the content, right? Like, I, you know, and it, it's interesting even that the, the shape paintings or the tubes come that they are fictional. And mm -hmm. illusionary, and they kind of deal in fiction mm -hmm. and pictorial space. And um, I think I had a low regard for the way that the bullet paintings dealt with content. Okay, fairly or unfairly, I feel like I see it differently because now. they're so specific. It was like this identifiable object, or I mean, it was smushed. You couldn't quite make it out right away. Well, but I was these I mean, are these operate in a different space. They're sort of undefinable, other than there are these tubes in a way. And then we apply our own baggage to it. I, I see binoculars. Right. So, yeah. and, and, and actually, and, and so the tubes function completely without you ever having a conversation with right. them. Right. Or, 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 or there being a text that accompanies it. Right. The problem with the, the bullets was that I was using content to make like an abstract painting. Mm -hmm. There's actually nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But I was interested enough in the content that that wasn't satisfying. It wasn't a satisfying avenue. For mm -hmm. dealing in content, mm -hmm. as far as I was concerned, right. And I and I mentioned that your work feels political in nature to me. It's not overtly visually political. I, I think it's fair to say. Yes, we could go there with the Freedom Tower. I mean, I feel, I feel like that's like oh, such a politicized building. Sure. And you're depicting it, but but you're making a landscape, and the Freedom Tower is in it. These are you know they're tubes, they're cylinders uh, coming out at us. Uh, the 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 X's are X's, and I and I feel like. Maybe it's because I know you and I've been to your studio before and I know what you are researching and what you're reading. Sure. Did I apply this, 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 this uh, political weight to your work? Um, is that fair of me to do that? Well, yeah. And, it, I mean, and I think, I mean, I think the ultimate underlying, the through line between all the work is that I think I'm interested in a literal landscape, the actual landscape mm -hmm. that the Freedom Tower actually exists in, mm -hmm. that, the, the, that there's a history there with the 9-11 the attacks or, or even just New York history. And then, and the, these views are from Secaucus, you mm -hmm. know, like, that I'm from New Jersey. I mean, like, you know, I mean, like, you know, this is a way that I saw the city. Sure. And then also the kind of, 
uh, imaginary, you know, I'm interested in the psychic overlay on top of that landscape. Um, but I'm not necessarily interested in like my, strictly my psychic overlay. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I want to evoke, I mean, I, I, I mean, I want like a viewer to have independence or, or and control over their destiny in terms of right. interacting with the work. Right. I think I mentioned earlier that that you're quite a technician with oil paint. Mm. Um, you can paint. You're one of these guys who can paint whatever they want to and make it look however they want to look. Is that fair to say? Would you agree with that? I'm I'm a comfortable painter, and I've you know yeah I'm, yeah. I'm comfortable painter. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like are you know I mean, yeah no I think it's a good thing. Uh, it's a compliment. Um, can you walk me through how you how you begin a work and how you until how you finish it? I, I mean. Um, maybe we should, what would you like to sort of unpack for us? Maybe a two painting, one of these landscapes. Um, it's up to you. Well, I, just to start with the tubes, because I think that there's been an evolution and there's been elbows and places that have gone that maybe I'm not, um, like, I, you know, like there's like a, almost more flexibility. Mm -hmm. uh, early versions of the... Um, two paintings were very de-skilled like intentionally de-skilled and sort of um you know employed illusionism but like sort of you know undermined it also you're holding back a little bit yeah yeah right and then <laughs> and then i think and then as time went on i it, it, like really indulged the illusionism yeah i think and, one one time i was over you showed me a little little physical model that you made of of two paper tubes that you looked at to yeah, get the sense I do that of, to find the shadows to find the shadows so yeah, you yeah. build a, a model in space that yeah. you can hold to help inform your moves um with the paint right but i think it's also important to mention that these are painted on aluminum right sheet metal yes and um they're cut so they're not you know i guess that's where the shape comes from right they're not on a rectangle well and that 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 actually i mean next door is a sheet metal supply mm -hmm. store so <laughs> right. i mean where that came from is i definitely and i think the bullets that i was describing earlier were the first like manifestation of that where i you could cut them with uh tin snips yeah right 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 and and then i had a dremel where i'd kind of soften it up and i could sand it and you down. just wanted a super smooth surface to paint on i mean uh, well i know the place is right next door the sheet metal place right um is it that was it this the super smooth surface that, that yeah i mean that I, you were interested I, in? think, I mean even more than well i mean i'm more i mean mm -hmm. but but i drawing is like my true comfort zone sure um and maybe it was like paper also it was like really affordable i mean like mm -hmm. well i think wait i mean i was pretty broke when i was it's cheaper to make one of these than a stretch canvas not not the not tube. at the scale not the t these tubes okay um and, and in fact it you know i mean like there were limitations because right. you do work both ways right you work on the sheet metal you work on stretch canvas right so um it's sort of a back and forth thing right um, and, and oh, well, i mean yeah. that has to do with like my multiple per mild multiple personality disorder <laughs> but um <laughs> but i think really it came from wanting to make these shaped things mm -hmm. and so you know that was expedient that next mm -hmm. door that they had this also i really loved picasso's paintings on metal oh, the right. guitars yeah 
um, I had a horrible rut and, you know, I was like, oh, Christ. I mean, or just thinking about, and, and one book I really leaned on was that, this Museum of Modern Art uh, retrospective Picasso book. And it had, I think was something I really like leaned into was mm-hmm. those tin sheet. Right. So basically, you know, I saw that and I was like, oh, let's, let's use it. And I, want, and I, I took that to a fair degree. The, the newer tubes are, you know, they're laser cuts. So I, I, so I make an illustrator drawing mm-hmm. and, and then they're laser cut and mm-hmm. then, and primed. And then, and, but I remember you telling me you freehand the circle when you're painting, right? Or am I misremembering that? Well, well, no, I, I actually tape a string. Okay. And you, okay, I see it. Um, and I kind of go mm-hmm. around and make dots, but I guess what I mean by not, I, I'm not like projecting anything or, right, or, right, or, right, or, right, right. You do make little studies or maquette versions on, your palette pages I see here. Yes. Just to sort of get a sense for the colors that you're going to, or the, the the gradient of the blue or the gradient of the red. Um, yes, totally. And do you make drawings uh, in addition to these little color studies, like in your little notebooks for the team? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And that all happens first. Yeah. And I so there's a fair amount of thinking. Mm-hmm. One thing about oil painting is, and especially when they're as simple as, these paintings are in a way like you you kind of almost want to finish a stretch in a go right mm-hmm. like like so like the top you know anyway so i, I kind of go in with a really strong idea of right what's happening and then, you know i mean there's an underpainting and there's an over you know there's there's multiple passes but like yeah um yeah i've seen these when they're like maybe a, a quarter of the way through and then I've seen them when they're finished, and yeah, they're they're, they're very layered. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Which is the nature of using oil paint the way you're using it. So that makes sense. Um, I'm always curious what what people are thinking about while they're while they're making these things. Um, are you concentrating on the act of of blending that color just so, or is your mind wandering? What's going through your head while you're working on these things? I mean, I would say. I'm pretty good at blocking things out when things are stressful, right? Like, right. So, so, so if something's not working out, I mean, I don't stressful hear anything in the anyway. Process. <laughs> yeah, okay. I don't hear anything. But um, yeah. you, you, actually, with the tubes, I started listening to lectures by authors I was reading. Okay. And so, it, it's, I mean, especially with the tubes, I feel like I had just like kind of like uh, two brains going. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually listened to those lectures a a number of times mostly because when I have to get serious, you know, I kind of just don't hear them. Right. And I'll re-listen to them. So, but I mean, it was in a weird way. I had like these two aspects of the studio running. Cool. And, um, is there a, a standout lecture? Like, you, like, Oh, this is the best one. I really learned a lot or, or like I recommended this to a, a friend. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> well, the other thing, I spent an extraordinary, um, extraordinary amount of time alone and, one thing that I do is I sometimes will go a little crazy and start emailing links to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, like never get a response. Just like, watch com- this two-hour interview. Yeah. I think you that's know? a common response to the, the artists in the studio, the isolated artists in the studio, yeah, yeah, yeah. is you want to share something. Dude, dude you yeah. got to listen to this. Yeah, you, know? this one right. yeah. <laughs> you know, 
nobody should feel bad if they don't respond. Yeah. I, mean, you know, I mean, I understand. You yeah. know, it's usually sent like this uh, right. fit of... Uh, so what's th- one that you sent around a bunch, a lecture? Like, check this one out. Well, you mentioned in your email Philip Mudd. Oh, who, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and Philip Mudd... He's, a, rel- he's a, uh, uh, a, a, a guy that's quite relevant right now. Yeah, he is. He mm-hmm. is. I mean, did you watch one? No, no. But I've talked about Philip Mudd with you before. So, okay, uh, God, you know, I, mean, I, don't even, <laughs> I don't even know how often I'm bringing up Philip Mudd. <laughs> I have a friend who, uh, or one of my best friends, is like a reading partner. He's like the other guy. Yeah, that I, we kind of like um, scale the mountain. Yeah, yeah, a yeah, little yeah, bit. yeah. And um, often we call each other like Mud. Yeah. Well, tell us. Mud wants to kill. Philip <laughs> Mudd was. Um, he's ex CIA. Yeah, he's okay. a retired. CIA analysts who worked for the counterterrorist center. And then it, he was at the FBI for a while. Um, and now he's like on, he's a talking head on CNN. Yeah. Okay. The way that I found him was very upset again about, uh, president elect Trump. Trump. Yeah. Right. Well, no, yeah. If I almost you, can't say his name still. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, if you, I, I, you know, when I get like on an author, yeah, I kind of every once in a while, I'll Google them to see if they're commenting on the news. Mm hmm. And um, I found Philip Mudd, I was on like a Peter Bergen who is, or there's probably three guys. It's like Peter Bergen, Steve Call, and Lawrence Ryder, who are like probably like the central sources on Al-Qaeda for mm-hmm. me, right? Like mm-hmm. I've, you know, kind of go back to their book and reread after I read something that shifted my view or, well, so anyway, and then, you know, if I'm painting, I'll search so I was searching Peter Bergen, and that's how I found Philip Mudd. Okay. Philip Mudd is like kind of a character, and he's a straight talker. But he's also somebody who sort of challenged my assumptions, which was he, he, he was involved in the Hunter program, Hunter Killer program. Okay. Um, to find Al-Qaeda in the early years. So he's, he's looking for people in Pakistan right. and, and Afghanistan. Like pre Bin Laden, uh, be- be- way before the Bin Laden raid. Okay, okay. You know what I'm saying, and, yeah. and and so he's operating at a time when there's like we're talking uh, renditions, uh, torture, all these things that are really controversial. The other thing that he's clued into is Colin Powell's address to the UN Security Council mm-hmm. before the Iraq invasion, with the uh, illustrations, no photo evidence. Did you ever know? Yeah, yeah, Did you ever yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, no. That? I mean, the whole thing is... It was all yeah. drawings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah we, we, it, was, it was a... It was theater. Yeah. And Mud wrote about uh, Zerkawi, who was uh, being in Iraq, possibly, or kind of asserting that uh, Saddam was harboring Zarqawi. This mm-hmm. is before, way before Zarqawi's famous. Okay. And... Um, Zark Howie is considered like the first emir of ISIS. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, um, he was, so anyway, so, he, you know, so Philip Mudd played a role in the humiliation of Colin Powell. Uh, <laughs> and so you naturally kind of feel like, you know, and also my uh, entree into like the workings of counterterrorism was an FBI agent too. Mm-hmm. So like, I almost like maybe my original stance kind of comes from, this guy, Ali Soufan, who is um, a Lebanese-American counterterrorism official who resisted the CIA's approach to interrogation. Mm-hmm. And he, he wrote a book, and he's kind of like, you know, he was on TV as like a kind of anti-torture 
activist, right? From the inside, which you know, you know, and he's he's a compelling character. So when I when Philip Mudd challenged my assumptions, and and there's one section of so he wrote a book called Takedown, which is like kind of his memoir of the counterterrorist center. But he had these kind of counterintuitive responses to a lot of the questions, and he was emotional but kind of rational, and he was just very honest and open. Mm-hmm. There was one thing that convinced. There was he calculated. Well, I mean, look, I mean, like he. This is a guy who's like, he went to Afghanistan um, while we were still fighting the Taliban, November two thousand one, with. Ambassador Dobbins to help prop up a new Afghani government. I mean, this is a guy that was, I mean, he was, he was a pretty serious he individual. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then he's like coming back and he's briefing the president. I mean, like, right, you know, right, he's, right, right, you know, right. like we're talking, uh, he's got to be a little nuts, right? Like to be in that environment. Mm-hmm. And oh, so there's one, uh, there's a moment when he's asked about how is your relation, working relationship with Pakistan? And Pakistan is hard, it's hard not to look at Pakistan in like a negative light. Mm-hmm. From my perspective, from what I've been reading, like they've got nuclear a nuclear weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the backers of the Taliban. They financed Islamists that were around Bin Laden, right? Harvard um, Bin Laden, Harvard Bin Laden. Yeah, um, you know, they, uh, the worst terrorist attack since nine eleven was in India. Um, you know, the the guy who runs that terrorist organization. Lashkar Ataba is, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the, the guy's practically got a TV yeah. show. Can I ask how yeah. you got into this in the first place? Your interest in terrorism or, and black ops and CIA stuff and FBI stuff. I mean, I know you're you're um, really interested in, in the the JFK assassin, assassination. Um, is this something that came into your life when you were growing up in New Jersey? Or is this, like, connected to... You were here during nine eleven, right? Yeah. Was it? Is it? Does it? Did it grow out of that, or, or when did this stuff enter your life? Well, you know, my my parents were interested in politics. They're educators, right? Your parents? My dad is. Your dad yeah. is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my brother is, and um, mm-hmm. you know, um, he used to have a, like a political memorabilia collection. Okay, so and, you saw it around when you were a kid. You know, inside yeah. politics after school, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was engaged, and they're, and they're liberals. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think like they're kind of had this um, idea of engagement, political right. engagement. Right. You know, and my father, you know, through I mean, he in the union, he was involved in the unions, and like you know, he was in an active sure, sure, citizen. Sure, sure. You know what I mean? So like, you saw it there, or you maybe got a spark there. Sure. And, yeah. you know, I think my brother and I were both, my brother and I are quite close in age. We were both really attracted to history. Mm-hmm. I mean, even just on the basis of stories. We loved, like, the stories of it. I think the Kennedy assassination stuff, I mean, like, there was one aspect, which is, like, when when we were in high school, the, um, it was not long after Oliver Stone's movie came out. Mm-hmm. And there was X-Files. And there was a mystique. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I was, like, all that engaged or committed at that point, mm-hmm. I also think, even politically, I mean, I think, and I've been thinking about this since the election. I remember being exhausted uh, by the Lewinsky scandals by the time, like George During, Bush's election. Okay, okay. Or elected. 
You're exhausted from the Bill Clinton years. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. You know, just kind of drained, you mm-hmm. know. And almost, I think when, I was bummed that, that my sense of the election, how the election mm-hmm. went in 2000. But I don't know that I foresaw, I didn't think it was like, you know. Sure. Going to be as uh, severe right. as it was. Right. So, but it sounds like um, just the culture of your household is sort of, opened you up to this yeah they like to be informed okay yeah they're engaged it was like uh, and i know you've mentioned um um i think when we were texting about me coming over that you had uh salvador dali posters up in the house yeah andrew wyeth posters in the house sure so was that were those um sort of influential visuals in addition to this sort of information that you were getting yeah yeah i mean since we were at, it was since we were talking about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, 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 I think more than I admit or understand. Mm-hmm. Um, which is to say, I was like, oh, I want to look at images of those Dali paintings that were in my house. And they don't look all that different than the, these paintings. Okay. With some of the things going on. In the those, two paintings. Yeah. like I mean, the, one of them was uh, Christ, like, sort of. Oh, they're, they're like the forced perspective. perspective. Okay. And then yeah, it had yeah, these, yeah, like, yeah, sort yeah. of sure. cubes. And I was like, Jesus, look at those. <laughs> That's where it comes from, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. you know, but I don't necessarily cite that. Sure. You know, but like, I was like, whoa, I really absorbed that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, do you cite anything specific? For, for, yeah, I, yeah, I do. But not, but not that. I mean, I, what would you cite for the two paintings as part of the DNA of them? I, I had a moment where it's like looking at Picasso's those guitars and I was like, who's carrying this ball down the field? Picasso's guitars? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then it kind of, and I was looking at Stuart Davis also, and then that, who's who's playing with these toys? And I think one of the artists had it brought me to was Elizabeth Murray, like oh, yeah. yeah, you know, and 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 her shaped paintings, and I, mm-hmm. you know, these aren't that, these kind of come out of drawing those kind of historical okay connections, cool. kind of like, um, and looking for a way into making sure abstract images, so making these and listening to Philip Mudd. Yeah, totally. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to circle back to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to check out some mud. I mean, this is like the third or fourth time I've talked to you about him, yet I haven't sat down to look him up and listen to him. So. Oh, wait, did you want me to tell you the story, where I was going, and I'll, I'll do it really fast? Okay. Because <laughs> I was talking about seeing Pakistan as like a sinister force. Oh, yeah. And I asked him, well, how was your working relationship with Pakistan? He said, I don't know, fine. You know, what do you what do you want from me? Yeah. And he said he said something, he says, We mirror image too much in this country. And that um we want them to do what we want them to do. Well, mm-hmm. why don't we do what they want them to do? I mean that's not the way the world works. And he sort of throws it up in the air and he says, This is the craziest reversal of foreign policy we've ever asked a country to make they made it there's a civil war that's been going on in their country since 2001 mm-hmm. they see it as of our making they've suffered horribly well anyway the, my point is is that when he kind of offered that advice and, and not necessarily even just having it or not advice that that vantage point that moment allowed like philip mudd like, sort of opened my mind not mm-hmm. only to him but like even just like i need to like i, I try to adopt perspectives sure. more fluidly and right, kind of, right 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 cool. yeah he expanded my mind yeah. a little bit that way. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, 
you got in a rut and you were, you flipped through a book to maybe help get you out of the rut. Are there other things that you do? I'm always curious how, how, how artists resolve those problems in the studio um, to get the juices flowing again. What other things do you do? Or is it hit the books? Books is one. I, I, there's like two moments, I think, when I get ideas or get momentum. And it's like there's one moment that's reading or looking at books, which gives me kernels. But actually, I get a lot of ideas while I'm painting. And ideas for other paintings or yeah okay. kind of kind of you know I, I find that working 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 leads to more work oh yeah of course i agree and 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 identify for sure do you ever stop and like sketch out that idea or do you just sort of do you have like a growing list in your head i mean how do you how do you keep track of the ideas that you're getting while you're working or do you I, even bother i know I, I i have a pretty committed sketchbook okay practice yeah i mean yeah sketchbook i mean yeah it's important drawing yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's a place I go to, um, but I think I, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, I mean, but that rut was. I mean, I was working a lot, and I was pretty broke. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm almost. I mean, looking back on it, it's like obvious why I couldn't make any work. Yeah, <laughs> but I, but it, but I mean, life pressure everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would say. Is it fair to say that you operate within the contemporary art world? Yes, right. That's that's where your work is floating around in right now. Yeah, yeah. If you um, could leave the contemporary art world and be in a different art world, the where would you choose to to go? Hmm, that's a tough one. Well, I, I'll start with I wouldn't. You wouldn't. I. God, I read the other day this essay. Is it okay to make fun of, you know, uh, well, I mean, I'm going to make fun of somebody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I read this uh, essay from the early 80s called uh, Last Exit Painting. Okay. And it compa- in it, there's like a sort of comparison between David Sally and like the Neo Geo, like a, like a schnabel and okay. Clemente. Um Arguing essentially that, like you know, Sally is like a radical, and you know, Clemente and Schnabel are not, yeah. and, and you know, and it's hilarious. Okay, the reason it's hilarious is, I mean, maybe even because it's just, that it just felt it feels dated. Those kinds of arguments. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and when you 80s? read it, you're just kind of yeah, okay. and you're just kind of like, God damn, <laughs> I'm really glad. I don't exist in that environment. It just right, looks right, insane. Right, right. Whatever this guy is talking about is really nuts. You know. Right, and he, right. You know. Um, the. I think we exist in a pretty poly, like to make a case for now. I mean, we mm-hmm. exist in a pretty polycentric time. I feel like there's lots of outlets. There's lots of momentum. I mean, artists runs galleries. There's. Mm-hmm. Um. There's no. It doesn't seem to me that there's any reigning ideology, or uh, you know, I you know, I I feel like there's a lot of movement in all sorts of directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it, so in that way, I'm grateful to exist. Yeah, now. that's well yeah. said. Um, no interest in um, being a comic book artist. And maybe in the um, in a different life, maybe. Maybe in a different. Well, you know, I I think like it would have been fun. It seems like there was this this moment where like you know they were all like in the same studio, like in the 
50s or early 60s it's like you know these mm-hmm. great guys like Wally Wood Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and like the same oh, yeah. row kind of plugging away I mean I think that would that would have been pretty fun yeah you know I, I don't know how many of these other uh, recordings of, of that I've done with other artists but I use one of your questions that you ask me um, to, to, to tackle this idea of, of, of uh, who, uh, who an artist might want to kill so I wanted to throw it back at you. Who do you want to kill? Who do I want to kill? And maybe first you could explain that question, how you explained it to me for the listeners. Because I, I don't always explain it that well. It's not like you want to kill somebody because you don't like them. You want to kill them because they may have arrived at a way of working or a way of making a piece of artwork that you identify with or wish, wish that maybe you had done first. Mm-hmm. Isn't that sort of how you explained it to me? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. No, no, it's, it's sort of like essentially... There's an artist who occupies a space right. that your the work, trajectory of your work seems to be Headed colliding towards. with, right, yeah, right, yeah. Right. Um, and you know where do you stand in relation to him, or yes. how do you knock him out, you know, yes. whatever. Although I, I, you know, I meant that in a more abstract way than like a, you know, like yeah. a. You know, actually, I had a, I had a recent um, experience, and his name is eluding me, but he made a film called Hypernormalization. Hypernormalization. Yeah, a BBC guy. Okay. It's idiotic that I can't remember his name right now. But, um, you know, uh, and I did, I read a poem at Mast. And, I mean, I think the primary question is, what do you think of what this guy's doing? Because it's so close. Mm -hmm. And since we haven't talked about it yet, just just to fill it in, like... um, the poems are these backwards timelines mm-hmm. that seem to compare and contrast or echo these kind of events that are tumbling backwards in time. Mm-hmm. And they happen, those events happen over disparate um, places, people, trajectories. Mm-hmm. But it's tracing trajectories mm-hmm. backwards. That's very much what he's doing. Okay. But he, I'm writing it. He's making movies. Okay. They're really like, you know, like, like kind of a pleasure to watch, you like, know, <laughs> like, like, a, like a, like a dramatized movie, like with acting no, no, they're, or is it they're documentaries? Docu- okay. They're documentaries. They're, they're okay. documentaries. But okay. like, uh, you know, they're, they're just, they're like, they're, um, even when I disagree with them, they're like pleasurable. And, mm-hmm. So maybe, they, maybe that guy. Cool. Maybe that guy's, although I, I mean, I think I'm up to something quite different. I just think. Yeah. I think in terms of art. And the poetry thing is sort of a new, new endeavor for you, or at least sharing it the way you're doing it. It's sharing suddenly. it yeah. certainly is, and I want to get into that in a little bit further mm-hmm. down the road. Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, you're gonna you were about to say someone else that you wanted to kill. <laughs> well, yeah, I didn't not kill. I mean, I, right. but I was thinking about models more like, mm-hmm. and like you know, I think you know, I mean, I definitely have models. You know, I mean, uh, Mike Kelly's education complex like is definitely like you know, a model for me in terms of like tackling content. It mm-hmm. was like, what do you do with information? How do you present it? I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know if my work will end up looking anything like his or landing the way his does, mm-hmm. but uh, it's sort of cross, uh, you know, the sign I did with Ellie, um, kind of fitting into some sort of through line that the World Trade Center paintings and the tubes do. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of meditation on landscape and, psychic states of mind you know i mean Mm -hmm. you know in that that way i mean i do have i have models but i I wouldn't want (laughs) to yeah yeah cool yeah can you talk about the first time you showed your work 
in a public setting? Do you remember? Yeah. Um, was it Derek Eller with Adam Marnie? Two-person show? Not exactly. Derek's place at the time. Adam Adam was represented by Derek, right? Derek. Yeah. Eller? Okay. And and he, he was in a main space, and they had a, a project room. Mm -hmm. And Adam Adam basically invited me. Was this when they were on Twenty Seventh Street? Yeah. Okay. And so I was in, in that room, and uh, Adam was in the main room. And it was that was a, a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, Adam did one of his installations, so he had like a, and it was in September, so. Yeah, he was in there for a couple of weeks, like setting up, working things out, and and then I showed back prints. Yeah, that's a pretty great first time out. Oh, I was super lucky. Yeah, it was really nice. I think the the first time I showed work was in a, um, well, it's now like, this is like a hometown hero show. Like I, I just we had just graduated and. This woman that ran like a little art school in the in the downtown area, or maybe I didn't, hadn't even graduated yet, but she she sold rugs, taught kids how to draw, and put art on the wall. <laughs> so right. that was sure. I put my art on the wall in her like rug store. That was one of my first experiences uh, showing up, not at a gallery in Chelsea, New York. So that's pretty cool that that was like, the first time for you. Well, I, I mean, also I think I had all sorts of hangups and insecurities. Yeah. I mean, I, sure. I, I short, I probably short circuited uh, sorts of opportunities. Yeah. and <laughs> or like you know, I didn't even know. I didn't and know. were those insecurities just youthful insecurities, or um, like what can you can you cite some of the hangups or like maybe things that were felt like obstacles I, for earlier opportunities? Well, I, were, I mean, in a lot of ways, I think they were youthful, and I think. Uh -huh. I think they were also a byproduct. I mean, at that time, I was just I was working a lot, and maybe you know I had like a, a genuinely sporadic relationship with my work, mm -hmm. so it was hard to you know get mm -hmm. a grip on it. Um, you and I have talked about um, how uh, you think it's important that your gallerists believe in your work, mm -hmm. and and how that's absolutely quite critical. Um, and also um, figuring out a, a strategy for how, for getting the work out there, curatorial decisions on, on on where the work lands. I like this word land you're using. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Your your working relationship. I know it's unsexy to sort of talk about, like you know, sort of the the, the business end of things. But um, well, no, yeah, I, I mean, thought it was interesting. I mean, it's important. Yeah. Totally. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, um, because you can't do this alone. Like, sure. Or you know, I mean, or. You know, I think something that really changed for me was having the opportunity to work with people that, uh, you know, I, I, that w could access the work and could persuade people who'd never seen it didn't care mm -hmm. to care. And I, I can't, I, you know, you, you can't do that. Right. Uh, or one can't do that. Right. Or, or you know, it's somebody else does that and um, it's a tall it's 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 a tall order to ask the artist to well and i think be the 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 pusher for lack of a better term as well as the maker yeah well some yeah. people can do it some people can do it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it, um but i think especially also in my case is i have i have this really varied practice that's not really very easy to distill i think like around the time even that i showed i mean i with Aeneas, who Aeneas Capalbo is the national exemplar, like that's the name of the gallery, the national exemplar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, he could kind of get on board with 
he could he could kind of recognize the through line and mm-hmm. he could see it and he could, could grasp it. I, I, a number of people who've been out to my studio before who were I think were intrigued and maybe even into it, but maybe at the same time almost. It was a, a far bridge for them to cross, and I, I the bridge not blame from them at all. Like this way of working to that way of working, or or even just like what do you what do I do with this guy? Oh, right, you know, right, you right. I mean, assume it from their perspective. You right, know, like right. <laughs> do I have any reasonable explanation for this? Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, um, yeah. I so he he was able to access it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think one of the reasons we're artists is that we're in pursuit of independence, mm-hmm. a kind of independence, autonomy, autonomy. Mm-hmm. And so, but on the other end, you have to have somebody who believes in that that independence and autonomy will, you know, will result in a, a reasonable partnership, right. you know, of some kind. You know? Right. And so, I thought it was important that he believed in what I was doing and mm-hmm. aspects of it, and he has been patient and uh, uh, supportive mm-hmm. of these kinds of shifts in approach and gear right. and kind of you know just uh, just understanding right do you think that like having if we're going to call them shifts like you have your landscape paintings um you did a series of paintings that were the freedom tower that were turned into this this sort of cartoonish character with arms and like sharp teeth and mm-hmm. an eyes you have the tube paintings um and now you're getting into this poetry project which again we're going to get to um is it difficult to have these different ways of working? I know there's a there's a through line that we've talked about a little bit through this, and and I feel it um, after coming here a few times. But is it difficult to to work in a few different ways like this? I mean, there's this argument that like you must be consistent, or you must um, not stray too far from what we're um, expecting from you. Um, right. Is that? I, a, I mean. I think a lot of artists think about this like I want to make battle axes in the blacksmith, but people expect these paintings I'm making. Um, at what point do you sort of say, fuck it, I'm going to make whatever I want to make? Well, and to go back to discussing that support is that, I mean, to a certain degree and whether it's like some kind of insane personality tick, but I cannot like, it wasn't like after the world trade center show with the monsters, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I like I I was eager to taste something else, and also eager to get back to them. Mm-hmm. It's not like um, I sort of almost require this sort of, and I think it enriches each work. And I think actually the work is not as far apart as it now appears. I agree, but well, to, for somebody to have the patience to go through those cycles. Mm-hmm. Where those ideas are presented, right? Because I think going forward there will be a, con- a consistency, sure. But I need an obscene amount of time to lay down the like these threads, right, right, right. I imagine, and I'll speak for myself, but um, working in a few different ways is also helps you learn as you keep moving from one yeah, to the yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and developing ideas out of those ways of working, as we were talking about earlier, one idea will lead to another. Um, I like jumping around. Not that my work shifts around too too much, but um, I mean, my stuff sort of unraveled over time. Yeah, and looks much different than it did ten years ago. And I embrace that. So um, oh, yeah. I think it's a good yeah. thing. Keeps you fresh. Yeah, for yeah. sure. 
I've been inching towards this this writing project that you're, that you're in the midst of. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get there, though, I wonder if we could, if you could shed some insight on who assassinated JFK. Because <laughs> um, I know you read a, you read a lot about it, and it's it's been a topic that's been in in your brain for a while. Break it out, yeah. Before the the guys in the black suits bu- bust down the door. Wait, now I. I think, okay, let's just do the Kennedy assassination. I was going to go on like another <laughs> ramble, but um, <laughs> I'm going to police myself right now. Um, my conception of the Kennedy plot is that a group of CIA officers, a group of anti-Castro Cubans, and some individuals from the organized crime community um Plotted to kill Kennedy over several months, and um, and did so. Ended up doing it in Dallas. I think there was an attempt in Tampa. It sounds like something very similar was attempted in Chicago. Kennedy's trip got canceled. Oh wow! Um, and so, how 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 soon before Dallas did those attempts take place? You know the timeline. I have a sense of the time. Eh, months? Yeah, years. months. Okay, months. months. It's close. Okay. I think there was a turning point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the origin of what motivated the plotters, uh, most of the plotters were involved in operations against Cuba to overthrow Fidel Castro. Right. Um, as you can imagine, the two probably great foreign policy events of, or I mean great or terrible, uh, foreign policy events of Kennedy's presidency was the Bay of Pigs and the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys that were involved were there for both of those things intimately, right. and for the CIA officers. And there's arguments that some of the organized crime guys were even involved in the overthrow of our bands in Guatemala okay. in the mid '50s. So these guys have this kind of track record, right, and experience. Yeah, <laughs> um, and a political outlook. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that plot, the plot that resulted in Kennedy's death, uh, w- was pretty small, but it was well designed, and it was well designed. But I also think it was sort of a mess. Like I don't think it went according to plan. I don't think Oswald was ever supposed to be arrested. Huh. I don't think Oswald ever was ever supposed to be shot right. by a nightclub owner in a police station. So is, would you say this group of CIA? Um, Cubans and organized crime people? Is it like a group of 20 people? I'm just wondering how big this little conglomerate is. I don't I don't know. But I think what makes the plot look so crazy mm-hmm. is that I think the, co- the cover-up is a totally different story in a lot of ways than the plot to kill him. Okay. I don't think the CIA as an institution killed Kennedy. I don't think the mafia has any institutional character to speak of, but I also don't think the mafia killed Kennedy. Right. I don't think anti-Castro Cuban militants killed Kennedy. Like as an institution, I think they were individuals, but they knew the way the government functioned. And when they set up Oswald, they did so in an effort to make him look as though he was an agent of the Soviet Union or Fidel Castro. Okay. And that was recorded in his files. Right. Um, 
So let's get to the to the writing project, the poetry that you're doing now. Right. And and that's sort of a new thing. When I first thing you said when I when I came in here, you said the paintings are stagnant right now. You're not painting stasis. right now. Stasis. Yes. Stasis. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> stasis. I knew it was an S. I'm just taking a little break. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're taking a break and you're writing. Um and and you presented these poems um, just recently at a at a group show um in in the city. Um as a performance, right? You, you, at the opening, you, you, you recited the po one or two poems. I, I read one at Magenta Plains. Okay. And then over the summer, I read one at Mast. Oh, okay. For an album release party. Right. So this, this one last week wasn't the first time you read in front of but an it audience. Was, yeah, it was the second. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but you know, um, and the poem you shared them with me, and I was able to read them, and they're they're sort of connected to a lot of the things we've been talking about. Um. um uh, a, 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 an, a, an American kid that finds his way to um, Afghanistan um, or is like has some mental health issues and gets radicalized and um, has, is, in, is in prison after a series of events. Um, um, so there's, there are these historical narratives that are based in fact that you've created a timeline mm -hmm. um, and they sort of link into each other. Um, Am I doing a good job describing the, yeah, the yeah, writing? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and the other thing you mentioned to me was that like this is this is sort of a, a preface of things to come. So I'm curious where you're headed with this new writing project and this poetry project, um, uh, um, and, and how does it maybe tie into everything else you, that you that you do? Well, I th it's sort of obvious for me, but I'm curious to hear you. Sure. No, no, no. That. I think I well, I mean, I. Th Let's say they're gonna they're, there'll be a book that'll come out with the next show. Okay, and which is in this coming September. Yes, it'll be paintings in this book. Yeah. Okay, and um, I think I mean I think in a way that this project is quite old, but maybe I don't know. There's something about the World Trade Center paintings that kicked the writing into a different mm -hmm. gear. It's like, oh, I found a way to make a painting about 9-11. Help ripen it up or something like that. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of almost kind of like, I, I want to double down on this. Like, or I have, I've been doing this research. And it kind of, there was like a couple breakthroughs. I mean, one breakthrough was, um, I was reading about FDR's Secretary of Treasury, Henry Morgenthau, came up with a plan or presented a plan mm -hmm. to the to the cabinet for post-war Europe after World War II ended. And he wanted to pastorialize uh, Germany after the war. And he, he kind of asserted that he, Europe wasn't like uh, civilized enough for industrial society. And I was like, that is crazy. <laughs> that is just wild. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. I mean, like, like you know, just yeah. in sort of, and there was something about that anecdote where I was like, oh my, like just, it gave me, it kind of cracked something open. I mean, like that was like bigger than that anecdote in and uh -huh. of itself, which was that is like an imagination. That is a moment of the imagination. And it, it has so much tied into it. Who, who this guy thinks he is. What do you think the world is? Mm -hmm. And I guess I started like applying like, well, what would, what would, what did the Russians think during the cold war? We would end up like assuming that, that we lost the cold war. Right. Or what, what did KSM and Osama bin Laden, what did they think when 
that they were going to win if they won the war. Standing in other people's shoes. Yeah, and sort mm-hmm. of. It, but like, and, and that kind of very quickly read to like led to emotional drives and myths that guide those emotional drives and beliefs and and I think and you, you're kind of almost wanting to apply that to the landscape that those drives take place in. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, even in the poem, well, it kind of jumps. You described the the one guy who got entrapped by the FBI, mm-hmm. and he was totally mentally incapable right, right, of committing right. a terrorist act. And, and he's, he's, he's locked away for years now. Yeah. yeah, and the FBI kind of like were like, there was an undercover guy, blah, 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 mm-hmm. kind of like the Newbert Five. There's, there's a lot of this has happened. Um, and then it jumped to a counterterrorism official in the CIA kind of reflecting on his That's career. Right. That's right. And he was, and he's had, full, was of re- full of regret. Full of regret. Yeah. yeah. And has this sort of perspective. Right. Anyway, I mean, like those two examples is like one is, you know, there's on one aspect I'm going to present like this very kind of didactic account of something happening mm-hmm. well, that would be the landscape right and then what angleton's talking about is just very emotional you don't get too many specifics right out. but it's it's in a completely internal um granular too it's 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 like you know i mean who knows maybe the next day he didn't feel that way right you know but it, right. it's on the record you know <laughs> um, right but it's also the contrast is nice because you have this the narrative of the kid um followed by the emotions of an official that's arguably responsible for the sorts of things that happened to the kid in terms of right. entrapment and things like that. Oh, I, mean, I mean, it sort of dominoes into it. Right. And so, I mean, I definitely, there's like... One section to the next, I mean. I mean, 9-11's at the center of the book, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, or the question is like, why did 9-11 happen? Who did it? And, or, you know, like... The you, book well, that you're working on right now. That's sort of the, like, okay. let's say the starting impulse. Okay. But, I mean, just like, but then taking it to larger assertions like in what ways did the cold war influence the environment that led to 911 mm-hmm. or um well, I, I like me being like i don't understand the middle east making an attempt to do so mm-hmm. um another way of looking at it is like me mapping a body of literature i mean i'm like sure you know and yeah, so it is, it's an investigation, but I think there's a lot of like you know. So will I, this book act as a map for your paintings potentially, in a way? No, but I mean they, they come from the same place, right? right. And it's funny. A lot of people because he's a cartoon monster in the World Trade Center paintings. Those were, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. It's like, well, I mean, obviously, I mean, maybe this happens with all sorts of art, but it happens with all art. But I actually don't think of them as ironic in a funny way. Like I sort of those monster paintings. Yeah, I sort of sympathize with him. Sure, you know what I mean. Like identify with him in like this sort of, you know, and like he. Well, just to say, I mean, um, they come from this similar meditation, the same place. This meditation. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, me knowing you, I, I I didn't get a sense of irony from them at all. But I have a lot. I'm not saying I blame anybody for feeling they were ironic. Sure, you know. Sure. Well, Matt, this has been great. I feel like. This is a good zone to to close things out. Um, thank you for opening your brain. It's a it's a smart one, and uh, the stuff in here is great. And we look forward to uh, putting on some Willie Nelson next if we push unrecord. Thanks, or, man. Turn this Thanks thing for on. coming over. Right. Thanks, man. Thanks, Bye. buddy.
And we've made it to the end. A quick reminder that listeners can learn more about this project and the artists featured by visiting deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also find the series and subscribe in iTunes. Thank you for listening and check back soon for a new episode.